Shock Sports Radio starts now. If Jason Tatum did not miss nine games, Jason Tatum would have been the number one pick in this draft. This guy had the knack, the ability to create his own shot. I think Pritchard was asking too much. Danny wasn't willing to give up. And that's just the way it goes. As a GM, your responsibility is to get the best offer out there. Yeah, that's my point, though. I think he's trying to you know, look at his career as a whole and say, I don't want to go 3-9. and nine. seconds here in this NBA season the respect from those two and that's it it's over this historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers the Lakers conquer the bubble and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters welcome to week 21 yes count it week 21 of shark sports radio Alongside of me is Andrew Gifford. He goes by Giffy. And it's yours truly, Mark Lazell Jr., a.k.a. Shark, right here in the Ocean State. What's going on, Giff? Hey, Blackjack Week, baby. Week 21. Oh, Big 21. Big 21. Um, A lot to talk about. We definitely appreciate all the listeners taking the time, taking a dive, as usual, tonight. Uh, And as always, you can tune in using your Apple Podcasts. Um, SoundCloud, and Spotify. You can also check us out on Twitter at SSR2019 underscore and Facebook by typing in Shock Sports Radio. GIF, my oh my, do we have a lot of exciting news to talk about. Um, One, we will break down on how and why the Lakers won the 2019-20 season. We will recap week five of the NFL, break down the matchups in week six. And we have our first guest joining the show. Yes, Mike Eamon from Nesson. It is our new segment called Chumming It Up with Shark and Gif. And uh, we have the pleasure of talking to him. He is a senior content producer at Nesson. And he is developing his name out there within the industry. So we're very proud to have him on and thankful as well. Um, So with that being said, Gif, we, we definitely got a lot to talk about as always. Um, but let's get into the first game that we want to talk about is the Raiders against the Chiefs. That was an exciting game, huh? Yeah, so this was uh, this was on TV. Um, you know, obviously, you know, not having Sunday ticket, um, you know, if we get any bigger, that's one of the sponsors I want first because I'd like free Sunday ticket, thanks DirecTV in advance. But, uh, yeah, I mean, honestly, didn't see this one coming at all. Um, Raiders take it down 40 to 24. Um, I want to say the first half – uh, there was close to, uh, gosh, I want to say like 550, 600 yards of total offense the first half. Seemed like both teams were going up and down the field on each other. Um, but honestly, like for as much as Derek Carr is a little bit of a, you know, a punching bag when it comes to check downs and, and um, you know, being safe with the ball, he was an absolute stud in this ball game. Um, 22 out of 31, 347 yards, three touchdowns, one pick. Um, but there was a that was a balanced attack as well. Um, they ran the ball for 35 times, 144 yards, uh, 4.1 yards to carry, and two touchdowns. And really, it was a tale of two halves for for Kansas City because you know obviously, you know Mahomes lit the world on fire in the first half, or at least they were going up and down the field. But I'm pretty sure they had less than 50 yards of total offense in the second half. 
and they really fell off the uh, you know they really fell off the the cliff on that one. Um, Chief offensive line gives up three sacks, five hits uh, on Mahomes. Um, I want to say their left guard uh, toward a tendon in his both knees, and pretty much after that, yeah, I, I I've never I've heard of one, I've never heard of two on on the same play. It was it was kind of one of those. Well, this is the week of freak injuries. We'll get that hit. We'll get that too in a little bit. Um, but you know when he went out, um, let's see the guard's name is uh let's see oh yeah kelsey uh awesome la hopefully i don't butcher that um but when he left um you know that mahomes was running for his life um you know and he threw an errant pick in the fourth quarter and they just looked off you know and look is it it's not an overreaction um they're still four and one they're still the chiefs they're still going to be there but for a team that they pretty much dismantled in two games last year um it was definitely a surprise and the fact that they came out firing but you know they kind of fell off in the second half, and and uh, and Oakland, Oakland took it to him. You know, and this is the first real game that Henry um, Ruggs has really been used as a weapon. He only had two catches, but he had 118 yards and a touchdown. So I think the more they get um, him involved in the offense, and the more that um, Fells gets uh you know get gets into the offense as well, this 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 Raiders team is is potentially pretty good, and and now they're only one game out of the uh, AFC West lead. Yeah, and I think something that gets overlooked in this game, too, if you look at it, is um, the fans, right? You know, there, there's probably a percentage of the fans that are loud in the games, but, you know, I always look at the, the bigger picture with the Kansas City Chiefs. Yes, they have a great future. Of course, they have fast guys. They have athletic dudes that can just get after it, right? But I also look at their weaknesses. Their weaknesses are, you know, you can beat them in the secondary, and you can also beat them on the run. And if you get after the quarterback uh, against uh, Pat Mahomes, he definitely becomes a little more vulnerable. Because if you look at it, right, I always look at you know, uh, how athletic Pat Mahomes is getting out of the pocket and trying to you know, find the open guy, you know, stay reserved, but also you know, kind of be flexible about decision making. Kind of what Aaron Rodgers does best. But he honestly sometimes holds the ball too long. And also, when, when you get that pressure on him, he starts thinking about it twice. And, and you kind of saw like, you know, the, the error throws downfield. You saw the pass rush really getting into his head and the front seven. And even the secondary really came up and, you know, play, played superb, honestly. You know, kind of holding um, Tyree Kill to big plays and, you know, I guess McCole Hardman had a couple of good plays but and Demarcus Robinson. But I, I will say I, we now know the formula to kind of get into Kansas City's head. And I think the formula is run against them, stop the run, and pass rush uh, against uh, Pat Mahomes. And I, I think he'll be successful. I think the game plan, honestly, John Gruden did one hell of a job in this game, out coaching Andy Reid. Because he came prepared, unlike, you know, the game that the, the other games that he played against, you know, the Saints. Um, the Saints game was pretty, pretty well done by uh, John Gruden. But there was a couple of lapses in those games where he kind of made question marks. Whereas in this game, I don't think there was a questionable decision really throughout the entire game. I mean, 40 to 24. That's outstanding. That is a good week for the Raiders. Yeah, and I think too, um, 
so Clyde Edwards Hilaire only had 10 carries for 40 yards and Mahomes still threw the ball 35 40 times so I think it's and I think it's easy to do especially when you have the you know the, the the talent of Mahomes is that I think you just kind of at times you can fall in love with all right we'll paddle us out right and I think that you can you can kind of fall in love with that as all right Pat's gonna you know he's gonna you know, pull a pull a play out of his ass and throw to Tyree Kill forty yards downfield. But you know, when you get punched in the mouth, and sometimes that's not kind of in the cards for the day. Um, I think you kind of have to go back to balance. And look, Andy Reid obviously wins a Super Bowl, Hall of Fame coach, first ballot Hall of Famer. However, there is the tendency for him to get pass happy, even when he was in Philadelphia and he had some really good running backs. Um, he would still, you know, throw the ball with Donovan McNabb 35, 40, 45 times. So there is the potential sometimes that he can, you know, get a little pass happy. Um, and look, they were tied at halftime. So they had plenty of opportunity to run the ball, create some balance. But kudos for, to the Raiders. They went on the road, you know, got a good win. And again, they're, they're one game out of the, the AFC West lead. And, and even coming into this game, like their two losses were, were, you know, tough losses. So it's like they're still a stingy team. Um, definitely in the playoff hunt and um, you know and Gruden went okay you think I'm going to throw short I'm just going to lob it up to Henry Ruggs and just you can watch him in the dust so great game plan Um, Fells is a monster by the way he's just he's so good and 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 if Ruggs can be a little bit more you know get the ball thrown his way a little bit more um, I think you know I think Vegas is uh, definitely the you know a, a team to be reckoned with well, Darren Waller is... That's what I meant. I, I said fells. I meant Waller. Don't yell at me. Twitter. We know what you meant. Um, but I will say, going back to it, you know, I, I feel like these games, it's going to be a toss-up. Some of these, you know, division rivalry games, we're, we're seeing it. And I think a big factor is going back to the fans. You know, when, when it's loud, you can't really hear your coaches, you know, that well. The communication within the players on the field, you know, kind of lacks. So... It does get a little bit scary when you're, you know, the opposing team, um, you know, going into a house with a bunch of guys that don't like you. Um, so, I mean, the crowd is is irrelevant right now. And I really think the product on the field is getting better because a lot of guys aren't getting in their heads. And we're really seeing, like, really good football from both sides, from both teams. Um, and and I, I know you want to get into this gif with the Cowboys and Giants. But my, oh my, did we see something that we shouldn't have saw. Um, I think we see it over the years. You know, you look at Kevin Ware for Louisville when he split his tendons right open. Um, we saw it with Gordon Hayward when he, he went down with an ankle. We saw it with Paul George when, you know, he was with the, uh, the United States um, you know, national team. Um, and he broke his leg. You know, just if you look at how catastrophic it is for Dak Prescott, not only this year, that's the main thing for me. If he wasn't going into a contract year, I, I mean, you know, off season, um, I would say, okay, it, it's fine. He'll get over it. He'll get back. But since he put so much hard work into the off season with CD Lamb and, you know, got other guys like Zeke Elliott and Tony Pollard, I just feel like you got to give this guy just like a slap on the wrist and have him go back out and play because he just deserves it. He puts a lot of hard work. He's a great, great human. We hear it all the time. Everybody praised him after, you know, seeing that injury with good purpose. But it's just, you you hate to see that happen to a guy that puts, like I said, so much hard work. I'll give you an example. is is Tua Tungle Valoa for the Alabama Crimson Tide. When he went down, P. 
people were devastated. I can kind of get the same sense with uh, Dak Prescott, and it's a it's a lonely feeling for the Dallas Cowboys. They just they don't know how to handle it. And before you you know before you make your point, you saw Jerry Jones, you saw Mike McCarthy, you saw Jason Garrett, you saw Dak Prescott. Jason Garrett and Mike McCarthy were right there when Dak was on the ground, and it just comes it comes full circle. Like you can really see how much these coaches and front office really love Dak. And I will say if they love him that much and he comes back healthy, they better give him a, a healthy contract. That's all I got to say. Yeah, I mean, look, obviously when coaches on the other side of the field, I know obviously this is special circumstances because obviously, you know, the Clapper was the the, the coach for the, the Cowboys last year and the fact that he came out and, and, you know, was looking after Dak after he got hurt. I mean, that obviously speaks volumes. Um, I, I know everybody today, and, and I know we're kind of tail end of overreaction Monday when it comes to the NFL and especially coming off of Dak's injury and people saying like, look, you know, you, you guys still need to pay him. You know, he took the franchise tag and, and you need to do right by him. Um, what I have to remind people is the NFL is a dirty business and my take on this is that look you got to look at the facts Dak is coming off of or he's going to be coming off of a pretty catastrophic injury and this is similar to the injury that Gordon Hayward suffered and he wasn't right until two years afterwards so when you're looking at Jerry Jones who is a businessman I don't see him giving Dak a long-term contract I see him doing the exact same thing next year of the franchise tag and see what he can get from him I hate to say it, but it's good business to see what you can get out of a guy or what a guy has to offer after coming off of this injury. So I know everybody loves Dak, and 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 he's a great teammate, and he shoots a mighty fine Chucky commercial, I might add. But um, it's only good business for Jerry Jones to see what he can get out of Dak before he backs up the brink truck. And I hate to I hate to be the the fly in the ointment on this thing, but that's only. That's that's only good business, especially when you have a now compromised asset who needs to recover and come back. That's only good business. Now, but I will say, if I if I may challenge that, who who's on the market that could be as good as Dak Prescott? Now, I'm not saying I'm not saying Dak Prescott's the next Tom Brady. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying though is when this guy is he's he's a regular season winner. We've seen it in the playoffs. He just doesn't he can't close. And I think that's a big issue. I think that's one of his major flaws is getting them over the hump in order to be an NFL, you know, contender for the Super Bowl. But he, what, what type of product he does put on the field, he distributes the ball well. He doesn't really turn over the ball as much as people think. There are just bad timing plays when it happens, like sack fumbles and interception down, you know, in, late in the third quarter, early fourth when the team you know, it's dead in the water. You know, they have the ability to come back um, as we see it time and time again, especially in the playoffs, as you can allude to uh, with the Green Bay Packers. But I think over the course of his career, he's been consistent. But again, he needs to get over the hump of trying to improve in the playoffs. And also, I think he needs to, you know, his accuracy needs to be slightly better. I think he can throw a really good ball. But he needs to throw the deep ball a little more um, in order to be 
better at it. Um, but I honestly think you look at the, the market, the free agent market, maybe even the draft. You know, I just think Trevor Lawrence, he's going to the Jets. I think you could sign that off and send it in. Um, but I, 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 over, I, I sometimes look at the Dallas Cowboys and say, who else is out there? J- just sign Dak to a short-term contract. Well, there, yeah, there isn't. But, but they're going to franchise him. That's, that's what they're going to do. They have, they have one more option to franchise him. And I'm not saying let him go. I'm saying, yeah, he's probably your best option unless, you know, some quarterbacks come on the market. Um, hey, who knows about Matt Ryan? Look, Atlanta fired Dan Quinn. They fired Thomas Dimitrov, the GM there. Um, I know that, you know, Matt Ryan is, is I think, is a $40 million cap it for next year. But if you're going to franchise Dak at 37, what's three extra million if you can go get Matt Ryan? So that might be something that they that they consider. Um, but I think that you I, he's a he's a very good player. Hasn't had that um, kind of over the hump moment like you mentioned beforehand and I think you keep them but I think you franchise them because look in the short term 37 million dollars is a lot less than what the going rate is for a quarterback um, on this market you know 37 million is a lot less than 100 million guaranteed so I think it's only it's only in the team's best interest now look from a morality standpoint yeah you hope the guy gets paid you know long term however I, I hate to say it but it's 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 only going to be in Jerry Jones's best interest to see what he has left in in Dak Prescott um, given that he makes a full recovery and like I said don't cut him don't let him go to free agency franchise him one more time and see what you get out of him and then you can talk long term after that yeah I, I don't mind that option I think you gotta do that and I mean especially with the investment that you already made with Dak you know you, you spent a pick on him not saying that it was a high pick I think it was in the fourth round right third round um but I mean, Jerry Jones, he he's used to paying guys that re, that he believes in. Um, whether that he believes in Dak Prescott or not is what we'll find out. But I will say, I will say, the reaction that he had yesterday when Dak went down, he was like, "Oh no, this is not good." So I think he kind of saw possibly an extension coming up in, in you know the off season. That's just my belief because I just saw the reaction, and I hate to say it, like you look at it. Um, especially from a Jerry Jones standpoint, you know, you, you have a lot of good offense weapons, right? The defense has took a lot of hits this year, you know, especially with Van Der Esch going down and, you know, you have a bunch of other guys that are, you know, dealing with injuries. But I just, I, I look at that division, man. <laughs> I look at that division and say it's up for grabs. So with Dak or not, I think you're still in decent shape with Andy Dalton. And I hate to say that, but I mean, you look at the other teams in the, in the division; whew, they smell like crap. They just—it's awful. It's it's disgusting. Yeah, that, that division stinks. So just quickly, so Cowboys win by three points, last second field goal. Um, I, honestly, the—I mean, the best player in this game might have been the kicker, Greg Zerline, Greg Greg the leg. Greg the leg, um, you know, three field goals. They win it down the stretch. But just to wrap up this game, um, is there anything more Cowboys than your franchise quarterback getting hurt? Andy Dalton off the scrap heap comes in, leads you to a win. You're two and three, and you're leading your division. Yeah, you're leading the Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying, though. Dak goes out. Andy Dalton comes in. The Giants, they don't have Saquon Barkley. Washington doesn't even know what they have right now. 
you know, Alex Smith is coming onto the field and, you know, he's just dealing with a, you know, a broke after dealing with a broken leg, he's now having to play because Kyle Allen, D- Dwayne Haskins isn't anywhere to be found. You know, the Eagles are always in shambles. Yes, they have, you know, a pretty good wide receiver right now out of Old Dominion. But, um, I mean, other than that, you know, I, I just look at that division as probably the most weakest division right now in the NFL. And I think, honestly, now might be the time for, you know, Dallas to start running the ball with Zeke like 30 to 40 times a game and just literally run it down those teams' throats because they 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 have a force in that backfield. They got to use him more now that Dak's out. That's that's huge. Well, yeah, and okay, so if if Zeke doesn't get the ball 30 times next game, I don't know who they're playing next week, but if he doesn't get the ball 30 times, Mike McCarthy should be fired on the spot. And this is the one thing that I told – you know, you and I both have a couple of Cowboy fans in our lives, and that's the one thing that I told them when, when Mike McCarthy came on board. I said, hey, I know you just spent $95 million on a running back. Well, he's not going to use him, so I don't know what to tell you. I, he had, you know, his last couple years, or his last year in Green Bay, he had Aaron Jones in the backfield, and, you know, he maybe got the ball 10 or 15 times a game, and Rodgers threw it 35 to 40 times. So, you know, Zeke definitely needs to get the ball, um, and we'll see what they have with the Red Rocket. I, I will say, looking at their uh, schedule, it's it's mediocre. Like, you got a couple of our teams. Just to run it through quick, and then we'll get into the Browns and Colts. Um, got the Cardinals. You have the Washington football team. I love saying that, by the way. You have... So stupid. So stupid. You you just couldn't come up with a name, so you just decided to say the football team as their logo, basically. Um, you have the Eagles. You have the Steelers. You got the Vikings, Redskins, Ravens. Bengals, 49ers, Eagles, Giants. So I would say three out of the remaining games are probably tough, but some of them are doable. But I will say the rest of the schedule is pretty favorable. So you might see like an 8-8, eight 9-7 eight, type of finish with you know the NFC uh, leader, so NFC East leader, sorry. So I, I honestly think the Dallas Cowboys are in really good shape unless the Eagles really creep up and, you know, they have Miles Sanders and Carson Wentz playing at an all-time high. Maybe that does happen, but that, that that's for another day. Um, Giff, let's get into Browns at the Colts. My, you just got to look at it, man. Actually, I don't know if it was at Indi- Indianapolis, but nonetheless, you have Baker Mayfield in this running game, and you have all these different types of offensive explosive players, and Stefanski, I'm going to say this again. We say it every stinking week, and I'm going to keep doing it. Stefanski is perfect, perfect for this offense. And their defense is getting after it. Miles Garrett's playing out of his mind right now. And I, I, I honestly can't stop. I can't see anybody really stopping that offense right now the way that the Cleveland Browns apply it. Well, I mean, I think this was – I mean, we, we – previewed it last week as one of the intriguing games because um you know it, it, it was indy winning three straight after you know uh screwing up the opening weekend at jacksonville and it was uh it was the browns you know like i said they lose in week one as well and they won three straight so i think this was a good test for i think this is a really good test for baker because this week and we'll we'll get to it in a little bit um browns are are at the steelers and it's it is so like this week Colts are pretty stingy defense 
And now next week he's going to go up, up against another stingy defense who can stop the run. So, you know, okay numbers for Baker, 21 for 37, 247, two touchdowns, two interceptions. He fumbled the ball once. Um, Cleveland rushing game, 33 rushes for 124 yards. Um, you know, that's still, you know, roughly four yards a carry. Um, and, you know, obviously Baker has to limit the turnovers a little bit more, not force the ball. Um, but luckily, um, Phil Rivers was ready to throw the ball right back. Um, he had two picks, and he could have had eight. I'm not kidding you. I was watching this game. He he literally would throw a pick and come back and throw the ball into double coverage, no problem, no conscience whatsoever. And and it's just like, man, you, you know, I watched um, um, Dan Orlovsky was on um, the Pat McAfee show this morning, and he said, look, you got to value the ball. And for as much as I like Phil Rivers, um, listen, you know, um, I, I don't know if he values the ball. You know, and it's like, well, especially, look, the Colts are built to win now. They have a running game in Jonathan Taylor. They have a really good defense that stops the run. And Phil Rivers is just kind of the, the, the thing that's holding them back now, which is, you know, when you brought in a guy and you basically told, well, allegedly told Tom Brady to go kick rocks, well, this is the guy you chose. So, you know, I, I think Frank Reich will definitely, you know, steer the ship. But yeah, Phil Rivers right now looks every bit of, I don't want to say washed up, but he's getting there. He's on hole 17, let's put it that way. Yeah, he's on a bad trend. Um, I will say, though, besides Jonathan Taylor, I mean, he doesn't really have many weapons. I, I, I hate to make that excuse. I don't like doing that because you look at Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay and what he has to work with, but Aaron Rodgers is above and beyond Philip Rivers. But what I'm trying to get at is Philip Rivers has always been a very uh, viable quarterback in the pocket. And he's thrown the long ball extremely well. He is not hitting it with T.Y. Hilton for whatever reason right now. Those two are just not, you know, in line. Um, and I will say, other than T.Y. Hilton, I mean, Paris Campbell, he's hurt, right? Um, you know, they got that guy, Pascal. I, I, I can't name another wide receiver on that team, Giff. And, and I will say that's a big factor. But, yes. Philip Rivers loves to be, you know, have explosive plays, throw the, ball, throw the deep ball, but he has had, this is where you give talent to the LA Chargers because he had Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Hunter Henry, Austin Eckler, and, you know, a bunch of other guys, Justin Jackson in the backfield. And Antonio Gates for 10 years. And Antonio Gates for 10 years, exactly. You had Keenan McCarter, like we can go on and on, right? Sure. But I will say that, I'm, I'm going to give him a slight pass. Now, he needs at least one week to really get in stride or else bring in Jacoby Brissett. What, why not at this point if you're Indianapolis? You know, I, I, don't, I don't even know. The, the issue with me is, like, I don't keep up with the Colts. I, I don't want to keep up with the Colts because they're a boring team. And, like, I, I don't know if they have, like, injuries with Brissett and why they made that change, you know, that change. But it seems like when Philip Rivers went into training camp, they just kind of gifted him that position. When you switch to a different team, you're dealing with different players. You're, de you're dealing with different schemes. We talk about schemes all the time. And communication. If you know how to communicate with your receivers, that's half the battle. And that's what he was great with with LA Chargers. But now he's just talking the talk, and he is not walking the walk with the Colts. 
and it is going to pursue a huge problem for the Colts to win the AFC South. And let me tell you, besides the Titans, that that division is up for grabs again because it, it's it's poor. I mean, you got the Texans, right? You got the Jaguars. You know, Gardner Minshew. Oh, this guy's great. Uh, the Jaguars are you know playing simple, brutal to watch. So I think the division's just kind of you know up in the air. So if you have the Colts, you really got to get, get your strengths together and you know put Jonathan Taylor in a position to succeed and try to make you know Jack Doyle a very viable weapon, you know, out in the open in the secondary between, you know, between the, the front seven and the secondary. Like, you got to find those open seams in order to be successful. And, and Phillip Rivers is getting sacked a ton. I think the most in his career so far, he's on pace for it. So I just think that the Colts really, if I may, with, with the Cleveland Browns, if I may just switch over quick, Baker needs to understand that he doesn't have to talk like he is the man after coming away with that victory 32-23. to You see Jarvis Landry eating pizza, great. You guys are 4-1. and one. That's great and dandy, right? But you could lose the next, you know, 14 games and go 5, you know, whatever. 5-11, whatever it is, right? So I just look at it. My math is totally off on that, by the way. But what I'm saying is, Three tur- total turnovers. You've got to keep the ball in your possession because that is what's going to make you good. That is what's going to make you a really good quarterback for the Cleveland Browns in order to have possession, give it to your offense, you know, give it to that running game, and do not let go of that. Because Stefanski, I'm telling you, when Kirk Cousins was the quarterback for the Vikings, when Stefanski was there, Kirk Cousins didn't really have a lot of picks. He didn't. And he was throwing lights out, lights out with that offense. Baker's got to slow down because if he becomes on the the other side of the totem pole, he's going to have to gradually work his way in. And he's already at a good stance. But, man, you can't just be happy because you're 4-1 and you have three turnovers against the freaking Colts. I I just don't understand his mentality after that game. You know, he's just, he's cocky. Yeah, but that's his shtick. And, like, that's that's what he came in the league with. So, I don't have a problem with that. Like, look, you got to understand, too. He's If he's a leader on that team, and that team seems like they have a bunch of swag to him, why be different than he normally is? If I may, Geth, the reason why is because he hasn't earned his stripes. He has always been a subpar quarterback, average quarterback, and now since he has, you know, a good uh, head coach that knows what he's doing. He feels like he can just do whatever he wants. No, Jarvis Landry, he grabs 85 to 90 catches a year. Odell Beckham Jr., he earned his contract because he had unbelievable MVP-like numbers with the Giants in his remaining years. So I I will not pledge for Baker Mayfield to do what he's doing. I will not. I don't care if that's his personality because he, he, he doesn't earn that. He, he has not earned his stripes in order to do that. So I would keep my mouth shut and just do what Stefanski tells me to do. And as I'm finally gaining steam and gaining momentum and not turning over the ball that, that will hurt your team, there's no celebrating. There's no celebrating until I put up four touchdowns and 300 yards and go for you know 60 to 70% uh, completion percentage. There's no excuse to do what he is doing right now. There's no excuse. 
Nah, I can't. listen, I, I'm all about being real, okay? And if your quarterback is a leader of your ball, of your ball club and you're a naturally cocky guy, you, I don't want fake guys. I, I, I don't want I don't want the and listen, here's here's a good here's a good example of this. Aaron Rodgers was buttoned up for maybe sixteen, yeah, fourteen, fifteen years. Now he's saying he's going on Pat McAfee's show and he's saying an average year for me is a career year for a quarterback. I want people to actually be themselves. I don't want fake I don't want fake stuff. So if Baker's gonna come in and shoot a bunch of commercials, that's fine. I be be you. I'm fine. I, I, yeah, I'm fine with that gift. I'm fine with that. But you're talking about Aaron Rodgers. You're talking about one of the greatest quarterbacks of our time. Baker has not. But listen, Baker Mayfield's four and one. He's four and one. The Cleveland hasn't been four and one in forever. Congratulations! You have now been a, a above five hundred quarterback for your first time in your career. He's been with the Cleveland Browns how many years? And it took him that long. And you had Jarvis. You had oh. Oh, he has no swag. You got to earn your keep. That's what I'm saying. You got to earn your keep. Talk about me being... Old man yells at clouds. <laughs> yeah, it's getting late here, Gap. Uh, talk about me being cocky, okay? Miami Dolphins. Oh, my goodness. I'll tee it up for you, brother. That's why I put this last. That's why I put this last. Get on get on your soapbox and go ahead, brother. I, I, I love the stats, too. And... Okay, so I talked about how they should start two and next uh, this week, right? Don't get me wrong, okay? Ryan Fitzpatrick can go off in games, okay? But this is a little bit of over exaggerating, you know, to say that the you know Dolphins are back, blah blah. blah. Okay, they didn't have Bosa, they didn't have Sherman, they didn't have a healthy Jimmy Garoppolo, they barely have any wide receiver that is functional. Uh, George kills her. So who the heck does San Francisco have on their team? I, if the Dolphins didn't blow them out, I would have been shocked. Because I, I picked Miami going into this game. Obviously, I have them going like 9-7, and 8-8. Eight and eight. Um, But I really think that Fitzpatrick puts this team in the best position to win against these type of defenses. Because there are... Tremendous amount of holes, but the offensive line earns their stripes in this game. They are playing, I think, three rookies on the offensive line, and they are playing remarkable job. I think Ryan Fitzpatrick has been on his feet, you know, nine out of ten times. I think there was only like you know one sack that he's he's had the entire year, maybe maybe even a little bit more. But nonetheless, Ryan Fitzpatrick had a game, you know, twenty-two. For 28, 350 yards passing, three touchdowns, and he got everyone involved. He got Devontae Parker involved, Preston Williams, who I talked about last week, an undrafted free agent last offseason, not this past offseason, last year's, uh, four catches for 106 yards, 26.5 yards per catch and a touchdown. Okay, Miami went into the halftime, Giff. I don't think I've ever seen this since I'm a Dolphins fan. Uh, maybe back in 2016 when J.H.I. went off. I think it was against the Steelers or the Jets. Um, they went into halftime 30-7 to with that type of lead. And the just what a job they did against Jimmy Garoppolo defensively. And I will say, to, to uh, give Dolphins credit, 
they did catch the throws that were thrown to them because sometimes they drop those. And it's hard to give them credit because they're in bad positioning. Well, Bobby McCain came up with a huge pick. Xavier Howard came up with a huge pick. Um, you know, Zach Ziegler's looking really good. Uh, Christian Wilkins. Really, that defensive mindset with Brian Flores is delivering on the field with these players. And it, it will continue. I think defensively it will continue. Defense is not my issue. I really think with Byron Jones back and healthy, you know, Xavier Howard on one side, Byron Jones on the other, it, it's tough. It's difficult. But I will say Jimmy Garoppolo was nicked in the ankle, and I think he's still feeling it. So it doesn't shock me that his mobility was limited and the fact that the Dolphins could get after it with their front seven. So I, I think it's a good game, Gav. I think it's, it's a good win. But they got the Jets this week, right? So you could get another win because I'm going to put that right on the W board. There's no way that they're losing that. I think they go 3-3 three and three into the bye week. And they have a lot of men, um, you know, mental capacity in that locker room. That is a good feeling, because when you go into the break that you're batting three, you know, five hundred, you feel good about it. And in the AFC East, it's looking pretty open, you know, for the wild card spot. Now Buffalo will see what they can do, but nonetheless, I'll get off my soapbox and I will say that Miami looks stellar, but let's not over exaggerate. Because San Francisco was hurt. They were hurting. Yeah, I mean, listen. Especially when, you know, you're a Miami Dolphins fan. Like, let's celebrate the wins when you got them, brother. Come on. Like, I, you listen. I've been down that road. And unless I see, like, three, four wins in a row, I get excited. Because I know next week they might not come in prepared. So, I'm just going to say I'm going to take the win. Yeah, if I'm going to take it, I'm happy about it. I was happy watching the game. They were finally winning. But I will say that I will say that there were a ton of holes with San Francisco. That's all I'm going to say. I feel like there's a lot of weaknesses on that team. And yes, Miami took advantage. Great. Let's see what you do against the Jets. Let's see what you can do against other good teams. The Rams are coming in. So let's see what you can do against tougher teams. You got to win these games. I agree. You got to win the games that are in front of you that are easy to do. But you got to also come prepared against the tougher teams because Jacksonville, not really, uh, you know, a big, uh, strong team to me. So that was an easy win, right? San Francisco again with all these injuries, chalk it up as an easy win. That's how I look at it. I'm a realist. I am a realist at the end of the day, Gaff. That's how I look at it. Yeah, but I mean, listen, you, not that there's any such things as moral victories, but you played Seattle tough last week, right? So you played them tough. You you, you maybe should have won that game. Um, you know, considering they went up and down the field and kicked field goals and Russell Wilson does what Russell Wilson does. Um, you can only play the teams in front of you. And by the way, wouldn't it be ironically hilarious if the Dolphins are the ones that get Adam Gase fired? That would be amazing. Just just, just for comeuppance, that'd be amazing. That'd be awesome. I would love for Ryan Fitzpatrick to go off for like 400 yards and four touchdowns in that game. And he probably will. Just, just saying that right now. Um, you know, playoff spot, I don't know. I you got the AFC North right now. You got Cleveland at four and one. You got Baltimore at four and one. You got Pittsburgh at four and zero. Oh. Um, you know Raiders right now are three and two. Um, obviously, you got Kansas City there. Um, you got the Bills. You got the Pats, and then whoever comes out of the AFC South. So, you know. But luckily for you guys, they're in the mix. You're in the mix, and 
you have Houston's number one draft pick. So there you go. So yeah, yeah. So I, I think um, I think you guys are definitely on the right track. And and you know to the people who said um, you know Tua should start this week, uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick said, "Hold my beard. Let me go ahead and throw three fifty, and just uh, just you know just get it done." So yeah, that's fine. Yeah, but celebrate, celebrate. Yeah, but I I honestly think. Yeah, no, no, I, I am happy, and I'm wearing my Dolphins cap. I am. But like I said, I'm not over-exaggerating. One, because I like to stay even keel because the, the, the reason why you celebrate is because you know you're a bad team and you beat a losing team. That's not a reason to celebrate. A reason to celebrate is if you beat a team like the LA Rams or the Seattle Seahawks, right, or the Patriots. That's a, that's a reason to celebrate. The San Francisco 49ers win is not a reason to celebrate. I'll take it. Like I said, I'm happy. I'll take it. All right. Okay. Um, yeah. So let's go into uh, let's go into week six. So honestly, um, I don't. I only see three really intriguing games. If you actually take a look at the slate this week, it's kind of a bunch of crap teams playing a bunch of crap teams. I mean, I I I, I could have put Carolina, Chicago on here, but it's kind of like eh, I don't know if I want to put them on here. So. You know, to go into Atlanta isn't exactly the hardest thing to do anymore. We'll see what happens after now. You know, Dimitrov and Dan Quinn are out there. But, um, look, Davis, the the guy they got at running back, he's been a stud. Uh, Teddy Two Gloves has, has been really good in the Matt Rule offense. Defensively, they're they're stout. But I don't know. I it just – who knows what you got in, in Chicago. Yeah, it's the, it's the Bears. And listen, and listen, as a Packers fan, you know, I basically had to take them off the list anyway. Um so we'll do uh, so three intriguing games um, as far as week six goes. Um, so first one we got on the slate, um, coincidentally, are, uh, you got Green Bay Packers coming off of a bye week, four uh, zero at uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers coming off of a loss last Thursday and just what was an ugly game on Thursday night that was brutal. Um, yeah, it was. Um, I think on back to back possessions. Um, Tampa Bay got to a third and I think 43 due to holding and, and, and false start penalties. And the Chicago came roaring down the field and ended up going like third and like 35. It was fantastic football. If I may just touch up on that. I was talking to my friend this past weekend about this game. And you just don't see it if, if Tom Brady and Bill Belichick are alongside of each other. You just don't see those type of mental errors. I really think Bruce Arians and, and Tom Brady don't have – you know, the chemistry just yet. And, you know, that's not to say that will that will happen. But I'll tell you what, the communication between a coach and a quarterback is probably the most important thing. Like, you look at, you know, Matt LaFleur and, um, you know, Aaron Rodgers. They have a significant chemistry. They're getting along. I know it took a little while to develop and progress. But I think with, you know, Brady's resume and his camaraderie with his players, he he's getting fed up. You can see it. He's getting fed up on the field because he's yelling at his players on the sideline, which I know he did slightly in New England. Don't get me wrong. He did that. He did that with Josh McDaniels. He, he let the offensive line know when he was getting sacked too much. But you're seeing it more and more often with Brady on the sidelines. And I think his age is catching up to him. I really do mentally. I think he's really feeling like – you know, you got to start protecting me more and more because Khalil Mack is getting after me, and I do not like it. Ryan Jansen, step up. You saw him screaming at Ryan Jansen on the sidelines because he felt like Ryan Jansen wasn't doing his job. 
All I'm saying is I'm I'm losing a little bit of faith in their in their chemistry. And I don't know if it'll ever come around, but I will say Bruce Arians um, has to step it up with Braid in order to make him happy, in order to make this team roll offensively. Defensively, I don't really have an issue. I think they're you know pretty good, um, but they they need a little bit of work. But I, I think uh, Tampa Bay's in a perfect position anyway. Were they three and two? I, I think in that division, that might be winnable right now with the way Saints and the way that Atlanta's playing. So. Yeah, and I think too. Um, <clears throat> I don't think Brady's used to the sloppiness and the undisciplined football, and I think that that's kind of the number one key because very rarely did the Patriots ever beat themselves. Um, you know, I think last week they had over a hundred yards in penalty yards. Um, they had at least four or five holding calls, uh, in addition to you know their their line being um, Swiss cheese. But looking at this. Um, matchup with the Packers this week. So this week I used um, DVOA, which is Football Outsiders. So basically the best way that I can describe DVOA is that it takes in the traditional stats for offense and defense, as in yards, as in passing yards or rushing yards, you know, efficient points per game. But it also takes into consideration the schedule. It takes into consideration away, home, um, conditions, all of that stuff. So it's basically a, a statistical model to show, give you kind of the real stats for an offense or a defense, right? So if a team is, for example, if a team is 5-0, and but they played five cupcakes, their DVOA might be lower than an offense who is 3-2 and but gone against different competition. So that just kind of gives you a, a, a quick kind of brief breakdown of that. So um, look, at, um, look at Green Bay and Tampa Bay. Um, Green, Green Bay DVOA rankings, first in offense, um, 26th in defense. Tampa Bay DVOA rankings, seventh in offense, second in defense. Um, in this matchup, Packers should be at full strength coming off of the bye. So that means two key players for them, Devontae Adams and Kenny Clark, should both be back. Um, for me, the key matchup is both offensive lines versus both defensive lines because both rosters have explosive uh, weapons, both at wide receiver, um, both at running back. Um, I think Tampa Bay has a better tight end group um, than, than Green Bay does. Um, but I think that it, th- this game is going to be one in the trenches, and I hate to sound like kind of like the old-time game day, pregame guy, like, oh, it's always one in the trenches, but actually this is going to be the case because both defenses can get after the quarterback and both offensive lines. Green Bay's offensive line has been a lot better than Tampa Bay's offensive line so far. I think Rodgers has been sacked maybe two or three times the entire year. Um, I think that, you know, we'll see again if, if look, if Tampa Bay comes out and they have 10 penalties and they can't stop the pass rush, this game might be over in the first quarter. It, it might be because Zadarius Smith, Preston Smith, you know, definitely both the, the outside rushers for for the Green Bay defense. Um, you know, I think that if they can get after Brady early and they can create the same pressure, because look, Brady under pressure, he falls to the ground. He did it last week and he's done it the past four or five years. Um, so I think it's going to be one of the trenches. Um, and it, it's whatever line it, it put it this way. If both lines can protect their quarterback, this is going to be a shootout. I, I don't think, I don't think this game is, is if both lines can protect, I think this will be a 35, 31, 38, 35 game. Um, so we'll see, but, um, you know, definitely a good game. Aaron Rodgers versus Tom Brady, obviously, you know, um, you know, it'll be a lot of talk during the week, um, as far as that matchup, but I think it'd be one of the trenches and whoever, you know, does the best protecting, protecting the quarterback getting after the quarterback will come out on top. I, I always look at the little things when it comes to, you know, the, the goats, right? 
Uh, I'll put Aaron Rodgers in that category for sure. You you look at Aaron Rodgers versus Tom Brady, it's always who can minimize the errors, right? Um, I'm seeing more errors out of Tampa Bay than Green Bay, and Green Bay is doing more with little. And, and the, uh, Robert Tanyan um, has been a catalyst to Aaron Rodgers in the red zone. Now, he did have a monstrous game last week. You know, three was it three touchdowns, four touchdowns. So I, I think he's a perfect red zone target. I think on third down and second and short, he's the guy that he can rely on with Alan Sard and, you know, uh, Valdez Scantling. But you just got to look at, like I said, the chemistry between Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers versus Bruce Arians and Tom Brady. They have to be on the same page because when you're a quarterback and you're in a huddle, and if you're not happy, the players alongside of you are going to feel helpless. They're going to be like, oh, man, our leader is not happy right now. This is not good. The offensive line's not, you know, happy. Now nobody's, nobody's on the same page. So if I'm Brady, yes, I'm aggravated on the sidelines, but I'm not letting that get the best of me. And we saw that in the Tampa Bay game against Chicago. The big reason why, this is a perfect example when he thought it was fourth down, when he thought it was fourth down, it was unbelievable. The GIF, I love it, GIF. The GIF. That's your, that's your new GIF. We found the new GIF. Is you throwing up the four. Now, I, I, I just, I, I can't imagine having that type of resume, having those type of career stats, and just losing it. Losing it. And that just shows me that he is not pleasantly happy with Tampa Bay and their message right now. And that's just a perfect example of his mind not focused on you know, the next play. Um, if anything, it, it, it's overlooking next play, per se, fourth down. So I, I will say Bruce Arians and Tom Brady have got to get it together because Packers need it. Yeah, yeah, yeah but I think, I, I, I think what happens is that when you're 42 years old, right, and you, you don't have a, your football life is, is on the back nine, even on the back two or three holes. Um, the sense of urgency to be successful quicker is there. Now, you also have to look at the growing pains that Aaron Rodgers had with Matt LaFleur last year because you have the 28 touchdowns, two picks. <clears throat> Again, famously, you know, down years for me or career years for other quarterbacks. But new offense, he went from a, you know, vertical passing game in Mike McCarthy to more of a zone-blocking scheme, play-action um, more of a, I would say, probably complex offense with Matt LaFleur. But Aaron Rodgers is 36. Tom Brady's 42. So I think that it, it takes some time. And, and, and I think, obviously, with Brady and, and the Patriots and their offense, it wasn't really vertically based. Bruce Arians is throw the ball deep and throw the ball deep all the time. So I think, I think it's definitely going to get some time. Um, he's had flashes, obviously, the Chargers, you know, the week before. Um but, you know, I think he's definitely got the weapons. Um, but again, you know, it's funny because obviously everybody's wearing masks due to COVID. I think he has to wear the mask because the undisciplined nature got into his system. That's the only thing that I can think of as far as the, the, the not thinking that it was fourth down. It was just the Tampa Bay undisciplined, dumb bonehead penalties that seeped into Tom Brady and it infected the goat of all time. That's the only way that I can describe it. Um, but I agree. I agree. I, I just I hope that doesn't get in his head against Green Bay. I, I want to see you know really good play out of both quarterbacks, but 
Aaron Jones is a monster in the backfield, and he is going to play an immense factor when it comes to uh, going up against the Tampa Bay defense. Tampa's going to have their hands full and see what they can do. Yeah, I agree. I'll get into the Cleveland Browns at Pittsburgh Steelers. This might be an AFC playoff game when it's all said and done. Um, you just got to look at Pittsburgh Steelers. Those guys are always ready to play. We, I, I told you, I'm not counting them as pretenders. They are for real. Anytime you have Ben Roethlisberger, Mike Tomlin running the show, you talk about chemistry. You, you, they're relatable. They have a lot of good offensive weapons. Their, their defense is becoming, you know, top five. Yes, they kind of had, you know, a little bit of a roadblock this past week. But you look at Steelers. Steelers won that last week anyway. It doesn't matter against, uh, was it Philly? They played Philly, right? Um, yeah. So I, I just look at the Steelers and the way that they're built. They've always been strong defensively. Offensively, you know, I feel like Ben Roethlisberger is, again, in the category of Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady where he doesn't have too much time left. So it doesn't shock me that they're ranked, what, 18th um, you know, in, in the, the NFL and then they're third defensively. I, I feel like they've always been that way. So it doesn't surprise me that that's where they, they sit. Um, but Cleveland, this could be a statement game for Cleveland. This, this is why I wanted to get at with Baker Mayfield. If he can control what he can control and not let the turnovers get out of hand, he will then become... Like Alex Smith with the Kansas City Chiefs when when they played you know the Colts in in the playoffs that year, he Alex Smith had a very good year and I can see a lot of um, similarities in Alex Smith and Baker Mayfield, but Baker has to learn to not turn over the ball whether that's you know keeping tr- control of the ball in your hands you know not letting it loose. You got it, but Stefanski is the the engine that will make this go. And if if this go, keeps going, I'm telling you, Cleveland might be, might win the the AFC uh, North. They might win the AFC North because Pittsburgh, if if they if they do what they do defensively, yes, Baker's going to have a hard trouble. But Cleveland has explosive weapons and can make this run. And Austin Hooper. You know, we talk about Kareem Hunt. We talk about OBJ, Jarvis Landry. Those guys you can rely on. And I want to see what they do against this type of Pittsburgh defense. If they come to play, my goodness, you can put Cleveland Browns in the high playoff contention. Yeah, I think, I see, I'm not sold on Pittsburgh yet because... You're never sold on Pittsburgh. I'm just taking a look at their schedule. Their first three games were against teams who haven't won a game yet. And then they played... Philly this weekend and Philly's won one game so look you beat up on Philly however you let him back in the ball game and it got a lot closer than it should have all right they were up I think they were up 31 17 31 14 and they let him climb back in the game um you know I think look I think honestly for Baker I think that seeing the Colts this week and seeing Pittsburgh next week it's kind of the progressive you know it's, it's like when you're playing a video game and it goes from medium to hard. This is exactly what 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 it's going to go for Baker because right now Pittsburgh has the best rush defense in the entire NFL. I think they're averaging something like I think they're letting up like forty yards a game, fifty yards a game against the run. So obviously with Nick Chubb out, you know, obviously you have Kareem Hunt. Um, the ball's going to have to be in Baker's hands for them to win this game. And I think that 
Um, hopefully for Cleveland fans, he's a little bit more, you know, stringent as far as the, the turnovers are concerned. Um, can I just say that, like, Pittsburgh and them drafting wide receivers, why are they the best team at drafting wide receivers, like, ever? Like, you literally have Chase Claypool, a second-round draft pick from Notre Dame. No big deal. Just has three receiving touchdowns and one rushing touchdown. As a Green Bay fan, this is very frustrating because Aaron Rodgers has two touchdowns in his entire career with guys that are number one picks, and both of them are to Mercedes Lewis. Let that sink in for a second. Jordy Nelson, Greg Jennings, um, Jermichael Finley, um, you know, Randall Cobb, Devontae Adams, none of them have been number one draft picks. So I always take a look at, you know, I mean, Pittsburgh, at this point, it's it's linebacker you and it's wide receiver you. It really is. I mean, it's it's they are the prototypical team for linebackers and for wide receiver drafting in the NFL, but I digress. But, um, you know, I think... Um, Giff, I, I think defensively, I think Pittsburgh's always ready to play defensively. They are always in the game, no matter what. For whatever reason, every single year, they are ready to just hammer out their opponent. And they just come ready. I just don't get it. It's a plug and play every single year. It's proven. It, it, if it works, it, you know, if it, if it works, don't fix it, right? So I always look at, you know, if you stop the run, especially with, you know, Cleveland and Cincinnati and you got the Ravens, they have a lot of different opponents to play and a lot of good running backs that they're going to be playing. So, yeah, stopping the run is going to be huge because if you can make those quarterbacks one-dimensional, like Burrow, like May- Mayfield, um, and, and you look at um, Lamar Jackson, I mean, if you can make all those guys one-dimensional, wow, their secondary can really step up. Um, I do want to talk about the Steelers' upcoming schedule. So they got the Browns, they got the Titans, they got the Ravens, they had the Cowboys, they had the Bengals, they had the Jaguars, and uh, a couple other games. Um, I just, I just look at that as kind of like, that's kind of easy for the Steelers moving forward. Um, I honestly think the Titans, the way that they're playing, I I think they're kind of beatable at this point, right? I wouldn't lock them in as a win already. Um, you know, you have Cleveland, uh, Dallas with Andy Dalton, you know, Cincinnati, you don't know Jaguars. (laughs) I mean, I really think that this is, this is probably the biggest game. This is the biggest game of the NFL season for the Cleveland Browns and Pittsburgh Steelers. This is the talk to talk, the walk the walk kind of a game. Whoever wins has really good momentum going into the the you know the latter half of the season. So I will say I like you know the way that both teams are built, and I think this is going to be like a powerful game to watch. I think it's going to be like you know twenty eight to twenty three kind of game. I can see that happening. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, this is. You know, um, obviously when you're, like I said, when you have three teams, Pittsburgh being 4-0, um, Cleveland being 4-1, and and Baltimore being 4-1, look, these division games are going to matter. So I think it's definitely going to be a rock fight. Um, I don't know if it's going to be as high scoring as as um, as you you know, as you know alluded to. Um, I, I, I kind of see this being a, honestly, I kind of see this being a 16-13, 17-14 type of game because both defenses have been pretty good. Um and both both teams can stop the run and you know both defenses have been pretty stingy so far so going to monday night at five o'clock thanks covid um that's a good time for you know old men like you and i to go to bed that early uh, how dare how dare you say old how dare you sir 
So you got uh, Monday night at 5 o'clock. You got the Kansas City Chiefs at the Buffalo Bills. Uh, you got Kansas City um, coming off of the loss to Oakland. Um, you got Buffalo uh, coming off of the bye from COVID. Um, and then, um, okay, so take a look at the rankings. So Kansas City, DVOA rankings, fourth in offense, fifth in defense. Um, Buffalo, DVOA rankings, fifth in offense, 22nd defense. Um, so what we talked about at the beginning of the um, of our NFL recap, um, Osa Malay for the guard for the um, Chiefs coming out. Tears bent tendons in both knees. Um, Chiefs secondary got shredded against um, against the Raiders. Um, you know their their offensive line, um, you know definitely had holes in it. You know Mahomes was was running for his life, and then defensively just let a bunch up uh, a big plays. I think this is again what we talked about the pr- the prior two or three weeks, especially with Buffalo. You need to see certain check marks when you have a team who's kind of going from a pretender to a contender. So the first check mark was them blowing a big lead against the Rams at home and then coming back and winning. Second check mark for me as far as Josh Allen's progression as a quarterback is concerned. He got hurt against the Raiders in the second quarter, came back and and led them to a win. This is the kind of final check mark for me in regards to are you a viable option to contend not only for the AFC East, but for the AFC as a conference as a whole. Because you have Kansas City at home. Obviously, you're not going to have any fans there. But you have them coming off of the ropes and coming off of a loss. So I think, honestly, I think the pace is going to be heavily dictated by Buffalo. Because I think they kind of have to figure out what they want to do. Now, obviously, like, yeah, no duh, they want to figure out what they want to do. But do they want to do the Patriots ball control have the ball for 35, 40 minutes, and just kind of keep this as a low-possession ball game? Or do they want to open it up and kind of get in, get in a shootout? And and they have the, they have the talent to do it. Um, obviously, with Diggs there, um, with um, with Devin Singletary, um, you know, running the ball. Um, they have some weapons, Cole Beasley. Um, so they have weapons. Yep, Sean Brown. So... So, John Brown, so they have weapons to do it, but I really think it's going to be dictated by Buffalo because I think they can potentially do both. It just kind of depends upon if they want to get in a shootout or if they want to try to keep a low-possession ball game. But if they come out with this win, especially coming off of the bye from, from lovely COVID last week, um, if they come out and they come out and, and handle business at home, I think they're a viable option not only to win the AFC East, but come out of the AFC as a conference. I really, I really think that highly of them if they can pull this out. Yeah, and I really like your your topic there of the pace of the game. I, I think that's going to play a huge factor. Um, obviously, Devin Singletary has run the ball extremely well. Josh Allen, you know, Josh Allen's an MVP candidate at this point. I put him in there as the conversation. Um, but you're looking at the Chiefs, right? The Chiefs just got punched in the face by the Vegas Raiders. They are not going to be happy coming into Buffalo. I'm sorry, Buffalo, you have a rude awakening coming. I think if you play what you play, I think that is bad news because I agree. I think the way that they can control the game, run the ball, keep Pat Mahomes off the field, that's the best opportunity for them to win a game. If they do run and gun, slinging the ball left and right, you know, down the field, Stephon Diggs and John Brown and Devin Singletary and whatever, you know, whoever else they got, it is going to become a shootout. 
And anytime you go into a shootout, I will take Pat Mahomes 10 out of 10. I will always ride with Pat Mahomes. He is just, he's proven. Um, Josh Allen, this might be a wake-up call game for him to say, okay, maybe we're not so good as, you know, as we think. But that's not to say that they're not going to be an AFC contender. They can still be an AFC contender, but they won't be in conversations with the Chiefs. Um, the Chiefs are just on another level. Defensively, they're playing extremely well right now, too. And Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, I told you this, I, I think he's going to be Offensive Rookie of the Year. Um, he's just a really good back for Pat Mahomes to have in the backfield, and he runs through the po- pockets extremely well. But I'm telling you, they, um, Kansas City has way too many explosive players and versatile players and so many arsenal of weapons that you cannot stop them if you get into a shootout. I will pick Kansas City over anyone if that happens. So that's just my call. I agree with you, Giff. The pace of the game is going to be extremely big. Bill's Mafia is going to put out a hit for your ass. That's all I'm saying. Um, you know what, though? I, you know, I, I, I understand Buffalo. They are playing extremely well. I'll make that conversation happen. I think Josh Allen, like I said, is an MVP candidate. And if he comes out and they do have a shootout and he overachieves and beats Pat Mahomes, my goodness, put him in high conversation for MVP along with Russell Wilson and Pat Mahomes. I can see that. I can see that, but I'm not going to put my money towards that. I'm not. Yeah, yeah, don't worry. If Bill's Mafia comes out and they put a hit on you, they're going to miss wide right. Oh, wide right joke. Wide right joke. Okay, all right. That's that's my one. That that That's my time. Try the veal, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. <laughs> um, so we have to talk about the NBA Finals, Geff, because you just overlook sometimes about how great LeBron James is. Um, and that's coming from a Celtics fan. And I just overlook the course of the years, right, with him with the Cavaliers, the Miami Heat. The reason why the Celtics fans hate them, hate him, is because they have had to go up against him how many years. Every single time they make it to the Eastern Conference Finals, it's LeBron James. So in my eyes, and I think MJ has said it or Kobe Bryant said it, haters hate the great ones. And you just got to speak to the development of LeBron James' maturity within his game, off the court, what he has done for the community. That's great and dandy. But what he has put on the court as far as being one of the greatest of all time if not the greatest, um, I, I, it speaks volumes to what this guy is capable of doing when he has a decent amount of talent around him. Now, Anthony Davis is extremely well put in the NBA. He's top five in my eyes as a top five player. But I will say the pieces around LeBron make it work even more. And Rajon Rondo was huge. Dwight Howard was huge. And I will just say hats off to LeBron James for winning his 4 out of 10 title. He is 4-6. and six, But he just has a way of playing in big moments with you know, the life on the line against the Miami Heat, his former team, against Eric Spolstra, who has been coaching his mind throughout the entire playoffs, and they beat them in 6. And that Game 5, before you speak, Giff, that Game 5, was exactly the Miami Heat's 
NBA Finals Championship. When they won Game 5, they said, all right, we did it. We did it. We got to, we got to Game 6. And, and then they just fell off because they had nothing left. I called it at halftime. Before halftime, talking to you, you know, we were watching the game. And I said, this game is a wrap. There is no way Miami's coming back. They're too slow defensively. Transition defense is terrific. Offense, they can't find the rhythm. It just, it is what it is. You got to give it to LeBron James. They came prepared. Frank Vogel did a hell of a job. And so, again, I'll give you your soapbox. <laughs> um, I mean, look, for somebody who has vehemently rooted against LeBron James his entire NBA fandom as soon as LeBron came in the league, it is a little bit weird to have him on your favorite team and to win an NBA title with him when the only guy drafted by the organization is Kyle Kuzma and everybody's been a free agent. Um, so that's a little bit strange. Um, you know, they definitely um, had a hired gun sort of championship. Um, obviously getting AD from, from New Orleans, um, bringing on Rondo, bringing on KCP, bringing on Dwight Howard, you know, so it's really, you know, a hired gun sort of title. Um, but kind of looking at the series as a whole, I mean, LeBron James MVP, just, I mean, just look at the numbers, 29 points a game, 11.8 rebounds, 8.5 assists, fourth NBA title, fourth finals MVP. I mean, that's, look, I mean, the numbers speak for itself, but you know, Anthony Davis. Now, Anthony Davis is the best number two LeBron has ever played with. I mean, hands down, bar none. Um, I think if you actually take a look at the minutes per game of the series, I want to say that Anthony Davis had at least four or five minutes a game more than LeBron. They kind of went through um, this phase where LeBron would come out at the end of the first quarter, going into the second quarter, and then AD would be in there with some of the bench guys. So that definitely shows you that, first off, LeBron has enough trust in AD to get them through those stretches where they're kind of regulating LeBron's minutes a little bit. Um, you know, and then Anthony Davis, he averages a 25 and 10 with two blocks in the finals. I mean, that's those are, those are money stats. Um, yeah, so a couple things for the Lakers. Um, I think a lot of people going into this season really questioned the supporting cast. Um, obviously, you have AD. You have LeBron. Um, but your bench. So Kyle Kuzma coming off of the bench. What, what is he going to produce? Rondo, does he have anything left in the tank? You know, KCP, um, whatever you can get from Dwight Howard, whatever you can get from JaVale McGee. Um, Alex Caruso, kind of a, a an unknown entity. But honestly, by the end of the year, because um, I, you know, when we talked about the series before we went into it, um, I thought the Miami definitely had the better team. Everybody knew their roles, but the Lakers have a little bit more star power. As you could see the series progress, the Lakers really knew their roles. You know, they really kind of fell into the roles. Um, you know, with Rondo coming off of the bench, look, he averaged 26 minutes a game, 8.7 points, 5.2 rebounds, 5.5 assists, and then one steal a game in 26 minutes. So that's, yep. Yep, and then he 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 took he took a lot of the playmaking off of LeBron's plate, um, you know. And look, I, that the, the Lakers fell into a team. I think they started the season being pieces and trying to figure it out, but as the playoffs went on, you could see that everybody started to really kind of you know take their roles seriously and know what their role was, and everybody everything kind of fit into place. And I do think you know people got to give Frank Vogel credit. 
You know, obviously him and LeBron worked together to figure that out with Rob Palenka to figure out what pieces would work well with LeBron. But you, you got to look at Raj Rondo and, and his playoff stats, you know, throughout the course of his career. They call him playoff Rondo when he shows up because he really does come to play. And what he does best, Giff, is he doesn't turn over the ball. He, that, and that's huge. If you have a guy that can really handle the rock, put people in the right position, be a floor general, you really have the capability of providing LeBron James confidence. And I, I think LeBron, uh, John Rondo has been a huge get for LeBron in order to, to fit the pieces together. Like LeBron, like trying to figure that out in your head as you're playing, that can wear, wear you down because you got to figure out where players are going to go, you know, what I'm going to do, you know, are players going to cut. The ball movement in game six was superb. Superb by the Lakers. They found a way to just kick the ball when needed. They took the right shots. And a big thing was Rajon Rondo's development with these players on the court. He has been the catalyst. It's been him. It's been AD. And it's been obviously LeBron James. But I will say, without Rajon Rondo, I don't necessarily think you know the Lakers would do what they did you know, to take it to game Six. I think it would have went seven without Rajon Rondo. I really do. Because he's just a guy. You saw it with the Celtics. He handled veterans perfectly. You know, you had Ray Allen coming off the screen, dished it to him. You had KG in the pick and roll action. You had Perk down low. You had Paul Pierce, you know, coming off of screens and, you know, taking one on one dribbles and finding his elbow jumper, which he did best. But Raj, that, that's what Rajon Rondo did, though. He found ways to get everyone involved, and that's exactly what he did in this series. So tip of the cap to Rajon Rondo. He definitely earns you know, his, pay, his payday, um, and really, he's really the unsung hero of, of the, the Lakers. Um, I really do think without him, they probably would have went seven, and who knows what might have happened, but talk about the Miami Heat, Giff. Yeah, Goran Dragic out and bam out of Bayou. Those were huge guys out, and I know you said you would want to see them together on the court against the Lakers to give that championship run. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a bummer that Bam and, and, and Dragic got hurt because I think that, um, you know, obviously the, the the Lakers kind of rolled in game one, but games two and game three, um, you know, it was like, all right, this is going to be a competitive series. And, and look, I... I told you via text after game five when Jimmy Butler basically looked like my dad after he sat for too long getting out of that uh, post-game presser. Um, but my dad didn't play, you know, 46 minutes and, you know, have 40, you know, have the game that Jimmy Butler did. Um, so that was kind of a telling, like, okay, these guys might be physically um, kind of at their at their red line. Yep. Um, but look, Jimmy Butler in the series, I mean, in a losing effort, look – he played 43 minutes a game. By the way, if you don't know, NBA is 48 minutes, so he literally took five minutes off a game. Um, 43 minutes a game, 26.2 points, 8.3 rebounds, 9.8 assists, 2.2 steals, and almost a block a game. But this kind of goes into the Miami being a better team, but the Lakers having better stars. There is close to a 14, or excuse me, 12 point drop off between Butler's points per game total and the second highest guy and the second highest guy for the Miami Heat was Tyler Hero so 
Yep. So, you know, having that second piece to go up against LeBron and AD, super important, obviously, in this series. But um, I think one of the biggest keys in the entire series was offensive rebounding for the Lakers. Um, I went to basketballreference.com. Shout out. Great website. If you if you want to lose two and a half hours of your time looking up salaries or stats, please go to that website. Um, but offensive rebounding percentage. So offensive rebounding percentage is the percentage of re- offensive rebounds that you get that are available, right? So if, if you miss a shot, however many missed shots you have, the percentage is what you've gotten out of. Yep. So offensive rebounding percentage for the Lakers was 27.3%. Miami Heat was 16.3%. So I know in game three, Rondo had a pretty big rebound coming down the stretch. I know AD basically made a living off the offensive glass um, for the series. And look, I think it was uh, game four. Yeah, game four where Dwight Howard had, I think, like 10 points and 10 rebounds at halftime. He had a double-double at halftime. So offensive um, glass-wise, they were able to really dominate, um, especially with Bam out. Um, And look, I think when I think LeBron and you can kind of get into I don't like the goat talk I hate it I think it's dumb I think it's two different eras um and I think it's basically like look arguing about if LeBron or MJ is the goat is like arguing if like who's better Superman or Batman like it's so dumb it's really stupid yeah, like like why can't why can't they both be great? Like cuz cuz the different variables that you have for MJ. Okay, so what if he doesn't take 94 95 off? Right? You can you can say what if he doesn't take those 2 years off? Do they go against Houston in the finals? You know, do they even get out of the got it, you know, get out of the East um with with the Orlando Magic at that time frame or what have you? And for LeBron like, okay, so he goes to 10 the fact that a current NBA player can go to 10 finals is insane. And honestly, like, I don't even hold the first finals he went to against him because it was him and four scrubs against the Spurs with Duncan, Parker, Ginobili, Pop, Robert Ory. Like, really? You're really going to hold that against him? Yeah, he, he, dragged, he dragged a dead carcass of a team up against a bunch of killers in San Antonio. So I don't even hold that against them. Um, but let's just let's just let them both be great. Please. Like let's not argue the GOAT thing. Let's let them both be great. You're probably not gonna see a run by a superstar like this for a very long time, if not ever again, going to ten finals. Just like you're not gonna see Tom you know, you're not gonna see a football player go to, you know, nine Super Bowls like Tom Brady. So let's just appreciate it. He's one of the greats. He, he, he wins another title, and, you know, it's fitting. Obviously, we lost Kobe Bryant in, in earlier this year. The fact that the Lakers win a title, cool story. Yeah, let's just leave it at that. LeBron and MJ are both great. Stop arguing. Appreciate LeBron. Even though, look, he makes it seem he, he, make, he does some things that make you not like him, and I fully understand that. However, when you take a look at statistically going to 10 finals – and having the longevity that he's had, you don't have to like him. You just have to appreciate the totals that are there. And now I take a step off myself. Well, I, I will say, Geth, there, there's measurements, right? And I, I'm not going to get into the GOAT conversation either because 
I think it's, like I said, two different categories. I'm right there with you, right? So the reason why I say that is Bill Russell has 11 ranks, right? Um, you know, Shaq was a dominant post player. He has, what, th- three or four, somewhere around that? Yeah, four. He got three with the Lakers, one with the Heat. Right. So I just look at, from a standpoint, you, you can go off of stats and say the guy is the greatest of all time. You can go off of winnings. The guy is the greatest of all time. You can go off of, you know, just how, you know, just how, you know, he is as a basketball player, progression, development, you know, just being there as a teammate and just having the guys count on him. That's what Michael Jordan did best. Honestly, he is a winner, but he got into his teammates' heads in order to, for them to play well. And the competitive nature is just far and beyond what any athlete has ever done in the sports world, what Michael Jordan has done from a competitiveness standpoint. He, he just doesn't care. He always tries to find something in order to you know, motivate him and make him determined to beat his opponent. That's what he did best, and that's why he, you know, people think he is the best. But I think, yes, I, I think they're two different arguments, but you got to look at the measurements. Do you go off of winning? Do you go off of stats? I, I think it goes hand in hand, obviously, but when it's all said and done, they're all great players, and you cannot decide who's the best because they're totally different errors. And LeBron James is a stat stuffer, and Michael Jordan was a great scorer, and yes, he had some rebounds and steals, but, I mean, you can look at LeBron. He had probably more triple-doubles than Michael Jordan, right? So I, you just you can't look at it from that standpoint of who's the greatest because of championships because if that's, if that's right... Bill Russell is because he has 11. So I, I just think that argument sucks. Like people say, oh, like Le- uh, Michael Jordan's six out of six, and, you know, LeBron's four out of 10, and Bill Russell's what, 11 out of 11? Uh, I mean, I'll, I'll take Bill Russell if that's the case. So I just, you know, I, I, I think people overlook that. But um, with that being said, Gav, let's wrap it up here. I do want to just discuss about the NBA bubble itself. We talked about, you know, throughout the entire season, the bubble season, how incredible it's been. You saw the development of Devin Booker. You saw the development of TJ Warren. You know, Jimmy Butler, Damian Lillard came balling out. You know, you, you saw Jamal Murray for, you know, the, uh, the Nuggets. Just great overall basketball to wrap up the season. I would say arguably one of the best I've seen as far as progression goes for each team. And all the games really went down on the stretch, I can think. Um, and, and, I mean, in the playoffs, it was a different ball game because I think a lot of teams got tired when it was, you know, mentally too, just really quick, mentally. You're being in a hotel that entire time. It's got to be mentally drained to go from one stop to another the entire time. Not being able to see your family, not being able to do things outside the box. You're playing video games or trying to eat healthy. You know, you go to the gym here and there, go swimming, whatever it is. The, the regiment and the, uh, the schedule had to be flexible for these players. And I think the NBA did a hell of a job in order to make them feel as much comfort as possible. But my goodness, I think the product on the court was tremendous from top to bottom. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think this playoffs has been, you know, I mean, it's recency bias, but as entertaining a playoff run and as I think we've had for you know, a long time. Um, and I think that, you know, I think it only gets better because 
and, and and for as much as I hate to you know be like you know the the season just ended yesterday and looking forward to next season but you know obviously you got the Lakers you got the Clippers however you do have that team in Golden State who has a number two draft pick and whatever they want to do with Wiggins so you got them coming back you got the emergence of you got Brooklyn coming out of the east with KD and with Kyrie you got um you know Denver with Jokic and with Murray and then uh, you know on the east side you obviously got the Celtics who knows what's going to happen in Philly that could be a beautiful disaster if it, if we go 40 games in and they're 20 and 20 that could be an absolute dumpster fire um you still got Toronto so i think you know the bubble definitely kicked off um you know the fact that obviously sports are back but fantastic playoffs um for me i think bubble mvp is I'm not going to look at it as most valuable to his team. I'm just going to say as far as where he jumped as far as um, league-wide, I think it's Jimmy Butler. I think Jimmy Butler is one, and I think Jamal Murray's two. I think those are my those are my bubble MVPs just because, you know, uh, Jimmy Butler literally played until he went up against the Lakers, and he played until he physically couldn't anymore. Like I said, look at, his, look at the way he walks off the, the podium after game five. That dude literally played until he could not play anymore, and they just ran out of gas, and that, and that happens. Um, but, yeah, bubble bubble MVPs for me. Yeah, I, I think it's ultimate I think it's the, I think it's the ultimate respect gift. I, I think Jimmy Butler deserves all the respect. He was a fierce competitor. Um, he showed his Chicago days, which is good, back to normal. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think the product was tremendous. Uh, if I were to pick a favorite, I mean, I'm a big Damian Lillard fan, but I also like Devin Booker, the way that he played. He kept his team in it, you know, until, you know, they had to hang it up. Um, so we got we got some good guests coming up in a couple weeks. So, Giff, uh, next week we have Jared Weiss from The Athletic coming on. So uh, we're glad to have him on. And we, again, thank Mike Eamond, uh from Nesson joining us today. And... Uh, yeah, let's talk about, you know, what we have coming up. You know, NFL, obviously, Masters is coming up. NBA offseason, we'll see what happens. But I think we can kind of put a close on NBA, you know, playing-wise talk uh, for now. But I think offseason is, is where the, the magic really happens, and it's a lot of fun. So um, any final thoughts? Um, J.R. Smith has two rings and CP3 has zero. Just, just saying. <laughs> my, <laughs> my final thought is Danny Green has three rings and LeBron has four. But Danny Green has three different teams that he played for. So, um, but th- that's the respect I give Danny Green because he had to make the adjustments, right? He had to go from the Spurs to Toronto to LA. So hats off really to LeBron and the Lakers for pulling that out. Anthony Davis played Ivan's mind. And, um, yeah, we'll, we'll catch you guys, uh, you know, next week. Tune in. Again, Jared Weiss from The Athletic will be joining us. Uh, so we're glad to – we'll be glad to be joined by him. So, a gift. thanks for joining. And uh, thanks to you all for tuning in. And uh, have a great night. Deuces.